Hey, besides the Parshas Kisisa, but it's also Purim, the Purim cotton, <coughs> because it's the 14th day, actually today is Shushan Purim cotton, it's the 16th day already, it's the 15th day of the month. You know, in, 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 in regular Purim, we have the regular Purim, which all celebrate, and then you have, like in Jerusalem, in those places that have a walled city, they do it a day later, they do it on the 15th of the month. Purim uh, this year is going to be in the second Ador, but the um, they call it a Purim Katan, small Purim. Uh, we don't say the special prayer. The Tachron we don't say today. No costumes. <coughs> but what? No costumes. Yeah, there is no, no, there is no, no, no big uh, uh, thing, but still there's some partying, there's a little, uh, little extra to bring down. And certainly we don't say Tachron and um, but the, even if we don't do so many celebrations, but the Rebbe points out, it's still a very auspicious time. It's some, something about small that actually, uh, that, that, that uh, is actually greater. Uh, something about the humility and about um, just like Mount Sinai being the smallest of the mountains, yes, it was the one that got the Torah. So there's something about smallness. Um, there's a special... Uh, saying that you know when you have a baby and do a bris, they say cotton This young, this small one will become the uh, other, uh, big. Uh, the minor will become big. Um, we, uh, uh, as a people, we were also always the smallest amongst the nations. You know, we were considered always fewer numbers and the small. And uh, Jacob was the younger brother. Uh, Asa was the older one. Uh, you know, by birth. Uh, um, so there is something about the cotton, and um, and the Rebbe um, stressed that uh, we should utilize this day for uh, positive, um, I guess, encouragement for the Torah mitzvahs. Uh, but the parsha this week is a portion of Kisisa, which is the portion that talks about the failure of the Jewish people, the first and major failure, which is the, the, building, the making of the golden calf. Now, um, while it also has the, um, um, I guess, the biggest sin uh, that the Jewish people committed as a community, it also but provides the opening for repentance because you find that, <coughs> notwithstanding that they made such a terrible mistake, and we have to also, if we take into consideration, I mean, this happened just um, uh, a couple of weeks after they received the Torah. It was merely 40 days. Uh, they just, you know, witnessed all the miracles. They were taken out of Egypt, and they saw what happened to the Egyptians, and then the splitting of the sea, and the manna, and, the, you know, the water, the well. The, I mean, everything was, it was, like, fascinating, fantastic. You know, everything was going well. Moshe Rabbeinu was leading them. Everything that Moshe Rabbeinu said comes true. They see the Torah, they see the lightning and the thunders, everything that's going on, you know, when they're getting the Torah, this is all in the desert taking place, and everything meets and uh, comes true. So they, they were convinced, uh, they followed Moshe Rabbeinu. And then Moshe Rabbeinu said he's gone up for 40 days, and they miscalculated, and when he came down, when he didn't come down according to their calculation, immediately they had no patience, you know. Why did he go back up again? Because... God only uh, said the Ten Commandments at the time, but there was all the rest of the Torah, so that's what God taught him at the time. So, 
he went up there for 40 days and he didn't eat, he didn't, he didn't, uh, didn't drink, you know, he was like an angel over there. And, um, but he didn't come down when they thought he was going to come down, so they decided that he's not coming down and they, they needed a new leader, so they went and they made a golden cap. So it's, you consider that, it seems like a pretty, uh, uh, pretty quick to stray uh, from all the, um, you know, all the things they've witnessed, but yet, you know, God was very angry with them, but after everything said and done, Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded for them and interceded, and eventually God forgave them. Okay, not 100%. He said, you know, when I, <coughs> whenever you do something bad, I will sort of remember this too. So he kept it a little bit. But mostly God forgave them because he continued to, to be with them. First he said, I want to destroy them, but eventually God uh, accepted their repentance. Moshe Rabbeinu interceded about on their behalf. So we see that um, we see that um, um, you can you can you can make up if you make a mistake. There's a way of making up. That's uh, very important to know that you can always make up. You know, with me. now what happened was Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountains. God gave him the tab- tablets. Uh, God gave the tablets to them. Now, where did the tablets come from? God made them, and nobody didn't know how the tablets come from. So when Moshe Rabbeinu was going down the mountains and he saw what was going on, he took the tablets and he broke them. So Moshe Rabbeinu broke the tablets. Now, why did Moshe Rabbeinu do that? I mean, there's very some a lot of different interpretations. But one of the things Moshe Rabbeinu did that because because he wasn't going to give the tablets to a people who were not uh, really connecting and following to God. You know, <coughs> so. But it wasn't all of them that made it. I mean, but but uh, apparently it was enough. Uh, yeah, and it was uh, sort of the sense of the community was like, even though it started off with the Erev with the mixture with the multitude of people that joined them. But why do they always blame those people? Like, why? <laughs> why? That's right. At what point do they say, well, there was a troublemaker, why didn't they get rid of it? And if they were Well, get rid no, of blame, it doesn't, you know, people blame them, but it doesn't mean that it's accepted. You know, everybody takes responsibility. That's right. They're, you know, they're still responsible. I mean, you have maybe, um, um, you know, what, what happens is um, you see the very first person, when God came to Adam, he says, how come you ate from the tree? He says, well, my wife made me eat it. He blames his wife. When Hashem says to his wife, why did you eat from the tree? She says, well, the snake comes to me. So everybody's blaming somebody else. Nobody's taking responsibility. Nobody wants to take responsibility. And everybody wants to put the blame on somebody else. But at the end of the day, you know, you're responsible because uh, you make your own decisions. And, uh, of course, sometimes it's more difficult uh, to, you know, overcome challenges when... uh, when people are trying to entice you, or some people are giving you, you have people who have bad friends, they're in a bad uh, environment, you know, you have people doing bad things, yeah? Sorry to interrupt. If you were picking up Shmuley, did you let Marlon Kovach know? Yeah, I did. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay, in any event, those tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, uh, that brought down were, were God's oh, given right. tablets. They, they were God given tablets. And. Uh, Hi. Oh, wow. Come on in. Ah. 
She's like, where is everybody? How are you? Come on in. Hi. So, um, so those 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 tablets were God were made by God. Those tablets that originally, I don't know if you heard once they say uh, a joke. Why did God give him two tablets? Why why two tablets? This is a joke that um, God was trying to offer the Torah to various different people, nations, and they all wanted to know what does it say in the Torah. And when God told them, well, you're not allowed to steal, you're not allowed to rob, you're not allowed to do these things, nah, we don't want this, it's not for us. So finally he came to the Jewish people and says, no, we want to give you the Torah. So they said, they didn't ask what it says, nothing. He says, we want to know what is the cost. Okay, we'll take two. It's a free, he says, we'll take two. <laughs> That's a good joke. I thought you were saying Naseh Yeah. No, that, that, that's not a joke, that's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. Right. So, but in any event, um, what's the difference between... So what those tablets were God-given tablets. Now, after Moshe Rabbeinu pleads with God, destroy them, and, and he pleads with God, and God forgives them, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, P'sol l'cha shnei luchas avonim God wants him to go ahead and make more and make more more tablets. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hello. He says um, an interesting thing. Here, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu now, that somehow he should go ahead and carve out and make now the tablets. Now it's going to be Moshe Rabbeinu's tablets. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to carve out. And gonna make a tablet. Where did we get the tablets from? What happened over here? So Rashi explains that in the tent where Moshe Rabbeinu pitched his tent, again, everybody had a tent in, in, in the desert. And where Moshe Rabbeinu pitched his tent, there was like a, a, a mine of sapphire, a sapphire mine. And it was the sapphire mine that he carved out and he made the tablets. And what happened was, uh, Rashi says that from the leftover, I guess you carve out, so you have leftover. Uh, so those leftovers were Moshe Rabbeinu kept, and he became very, very wealthy from the leftovers from this sapphire. That's what Rashi says. So he had to make the tablets, and that that, that seems to be you know quite um, uh, fantastic to have you know in the desert, uh, you know, to find a sapphire mine and. Uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu should just have his tent pitched right there, and that he should, um, you know, go ahead um, uh, and, 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 and make this and have the leftovers. I mean, usually the question is, you know, the Rebbe asked me, why, why, does, um, why do we have to go into all these details? Why don't we just say very, uh, very simply that, you know, somehow... He carved out. I mean, why is it important, all of this? Why, why is that important for us to know uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu became wealthy and uh, from all this? I mean, where do we, where do we come then? And it's, 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 it's interesting to see the word the Torah uses. Uh, in Hebrew, 
usually when you use the word carve out, it's called lachtsoiv, chotsoiv. Chotsoiv means to to carve out. Is that uh, from the root to write? No, that's kotev. Yeah. That's kotev. But chotsoiv is when you when you carve out, or no, when you cut out, like when you when you carve out something, it's called lachtsoiv. So you carve out. So the the question really is, why does the verse use here the lotion of pesol. The word pesol, the Hebrew word for, can also mean, sometimes has a negative connotation, like a pesel. A pesel. A pesel means like a statue. But it also, like pasul means no good, right? Uh, pasul would mean uh, something which is not, 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 not fit. Or uh, sometimes left over. Uh, yeah. I canceled it out. Or psolus. Psolus means uh, what's left over. The grit. A, uh? the grit like yeah, that's, that's psolus. So, why would the Torah use uh, a word that seems to have a negative connotation? It should have said maybe something it would seem more fitting to use a more common word, which would be lachatsov. Instead of saying something leftover, something which is psoilus, which was not does not fit uh, really with the uh, with the luchos, so Rabbi says that that's why it gave um, it gave Rashi the idea that there must be something leftover over here which had some some great value. Now we know that all the Jewish people were that went out of Egypt. It says that. The Egyptians, when they were chasing them, they came laden their donkeys with all kinds of uh, jewelries and wealth. And when they all drowned in the uh, the Red Sea, when they down drowned there, eventually all these things washed up on the shore. And the Jewish people were collecting. It says Rashi brings down that they were laden with ten donkeys full of all kinds of uh, of treasures and and uh, yeah, because actually. Hashem at the beginning told them that when they're going to leave, they're going to come out with a big fortune, that they're going to come out with a great fortune. But uh, actually, when they left Egypt, they already borrowed from all the Egyptians, uh, all different stuff. But this was, it says that what they got at the Kriyas Yamsuf was much more than they had the sea, much more than they had before. So it wasn't really a big deal to be a little bit wealthy. Everybody was, didn't look like, you know, anybody was short of, uh, of, 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 of things. Um, then we have to also take in, keep in mind the people that live in the desert, they didn't have any expenses. I mean, they were, you know, it's not so much... They didn't have to pay rent. No rent and no electricity and no water, no food. Everything was given them on. They had the water. So they had, the clothing was actually... They didn't have to. They didn't have to go change clothing because the clothing was growing on them. It says they had. They had. It was washed. Everything was. It was taken care of. They didn't have really expenses over there. If you think about it, and uh, my father Hashem used to always say, it says it's not how much money you make, it's how much you have left over in the end after you have your expenses. Mm-hmm. Because what you know, if you make a million dollars. And you spend a million and one dollars, then you're losing money. Then you're not. So you have to make. So if it's how much you can have left over after your expenses, what's left over? That's what your earnings are. So somebody who only earns twenty dollars, but he spends eighteen dollars, 
he's making two dollars. But somebody who earns a million dollars, spends a million one dollars, is off one dollar. So it doesn't matter. But in, in in the desert, they didn't have any any expenses. So they're all wealthy in in a sense over there for what they they need. I mean. Uh, it says earlier in the parish that Moshe Rabbein had a hard time getting them away because they were all collecting more and more. I mean, we see that that's the uh, nature of people that, even if they don't need, they have more money they can never use. They even if for, for everything they still want more. You know, that's just the way it is. And it started was then. It was true then too. You know, people had everything they needed, but yet they wanted more. They wanted more and more. But in any event, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be that much. It needed to be. It needed to be something really really big. It needed to be really that big for Moshe Rabbeinu to be. So it had to be something like a a sapphire, uh, something really much. Now, how do we know that it's a sapphire? Sapphire, because it's interesting. What did what did what did the pasuk say? God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to carve out two tablets, but he says another word over there, he says, but he tells them, like the first ones. How is Moshe Rabbeinu supposed to carve out like Hashem? It says, Hashem is telling to Moshe, he should carve out two tablets, I will write on these new tablets the same words that I've written on the first luchas that you broke. God gives him a dig, so to speak. He says, you broke them. Now you go bring me new luchas and I will write on those luchas, those same words that were on the other luchas. But the question is, God adds one word. God doesn't just say, go ahead and carve out two. He says, he says similar to the previous one. What is this? So what is what is this Kodeshayim? What is this like the what are they like the first one? How is Moshe Rabbeinu, a human being, going to make like Kodeshayim? So it's interesting. Before it says that when God was sending Moshe Rabbeinu uh, to go ahead and uh, do miracles for Pharaoh to teach him the lesson, all the various different things. So Hashem told him always to take along his staff. In one place, the pastor calls it, the godly staff should be in your hands. So that, uh, that was a godly stick. A symbol, right? A symbol. Yeah, but that was a stick that he had. God's, God's, it was, it's called the Matalikim. And um, Rashi says, because he says when he hit on the, on the rock to get the water, so Rashi says it was made out of a Dover kosher. It was a very hard... Rashi says it was made out of sapphire. Over there, it was sapphire. So we see something very interesting. I think this is a, good, a great chap, you know, the Rebbe's chap. You know, that we see that what is considered mate elikim, what is the godly staff, made out of sapphire. That's called the mate elikim. That was the godly... A sapphire uh, staff is called... A matelikim. So when Hashem tells him to make korishoyim like the first one, it means also what is elikim? What is a, what is gun? It's a sapphire because sapphire we find is considered to be a matelikim. So therefore, 
It's because why, why is sapphire and mate like him? No, because we see the reality was that that mate was made out of sapphire. Okay. And that was the mate like him, as Rashi said before. And now Hashem is saying to him, make the same as mine. So before Rashi concluded, it had to be against this material. Why? Because it's probably a very strong material. It was a very expensive material. Whatever it is, it was something which was very, very unique. So, and when Hashem told him, he's basically hinting to him, he's telling him, psol means those what Hashem is saying to him, carved to you, but Hashem is also telling him that the leftover will be yours. And one of the things that we know that people who are true leaders, and we see that when Moshe Rabbeinu was looking for people to judge, to find the right people, um, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, his father-in-law suggested him. Yisro told him. Yisro, his father-in-law, he told him to... he had to delegate. But what did he tell him? What kind of people should he take? He told him to take people that don't, uh, don't are honest and don't need... They don't need to uh, flatter anybody because they are independent. They are independently wealthy. If a person who needs to come on to other people, uh, if they're not wealthy uh, alone in their own right, so then there is more chance that they can be manipulated. Like that the they, politicians. Yeah, well, <laughs> and unfortunately, you know... Uh, in, even even in even in Israel, we have all of our. Watch first, we have to vote. Who, who do you recommend? Uh, you mean for? Uh, he doesn't do politics. The politics. No, I don't know. I have a very hard time. I don't know. It's not that much. I don't know. That's another thing. Well, let's let's finish this here. Who should good, be good for us? I mean, none of them. <laughs> I don't know. He he worries me a lot. This. Trump, Trump worries me a lot. Uh, no. His daughter's an Orthodox Jewish woman. It doesn't matter. But he's, 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 he worries know, me. I've he worries. He's very warm. So he worries me a lot. It's just his, yeah. not it's some of his, not thing. some of his policies, no, but the way he, that's right. The way he speaks and the way he puts people down and the way he, his position on his position is not. I was also not clear. Not that good either. But his his presentation. Very, bomba- very bombastic, very arrogant, and and very, um, yeah, um, yeah, you know, no, and the question is, he can bring the world down in a minute, you know, I mean, uh, starting a war and things like that, you know, he just doesn't have the, but that's another, that's another point, but let's just, just finish this, this, this point over here, is that God wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to be rich also, so, because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need to, flatter anybody or he didn't need to come on nobody can uh, sort of uh, dictate to him, manipulate him and dictate to him and like you said, unfortunately um, if the situation is that the people need to come on to other people uh, so then uh, you know, people get their ways um, and it's, 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 it's a lot of times uh, is the beginning of the uh, you know, the Torah says not to take bribe, you know, mm-hmm. so Bribe comes in various different forms, you know. It comes in various forms and various shapes. So it's not only giving a person an envelope with, uh, with, but it's different favors and different things. So Moshe Rabbeinu was right, was was wealthy in his own right from the beginning. But as I guess as time went on, uh, 
And here we're talking about in the beginning of the 40 years. He needed another 40 years over there. So um, uh, it gave him also prestige. Uh, most of the time, it's like uh, by the Rebbe's, um, the Chabad Rebbe's. Um, most, mo- most of the Rebbe's, the seven Rebbe's that we had in Chabad, uh, most of them lived very modest kind of uh, lives. You know, didn't have uh, no wealth or didn't have, I mean, they could have. Look, for example, like by the Rebbe, you know, the Rebbe could have all the amount of money that he ever wanted. He could have had the head of him. And uh, if you looked at the Rebbe's uh, house, for example, his, the appliances, his furnishings, it was like, you know, nothing. We never, we never were uh, privy to see the Rebbe's house, but after the Rebbe had passed away, the Rebbe was sitting shiva and he died in his home for the years, so and then we can go into the house so we can see what's going on there, you see a very, very simple, uh, very, um, so that's the one level. But by the Rebbe Maharash, they say, he was the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, he had a, a very wealthy uh, sort of presentation, you know, he had a, a golden carriage, he had a, in those days, uh, you know, with a, with a stick, um, uh, had a golden uh, with a handle, and then they had those, pocket watches, you know, you had with this golden chain that you had that you take out. He had like two of them, you know, that it was, it was, it was a, a presentation. And, um, and one of the time, uh, somebody sort of criticized or something, like why, why, why was it necessary? And, and the, the, the discussion responded, he says, well, who do you think wealth was created for? <laughs> I mean, for it was created for using it in the right way. But sometimes... Being able to um, bring the message and for your words to be heard doesn't have to be extravagant, but it has to be your people, it has to be. So Moshe Rabbeinu, just saying, needed, and Hashem wanted him. Why did he need him? <coughs> if you ask, I mean, what, what, what use did they have in the desert for all this stuff? It doesn't see them that much. <clears throat> they did do some business with people on the outside, but why was it such a yeah, important component? Need, but what they needed all this wealth, so but it, but it, but it, it gave wealth? it gave it gave Moshe Rabbeinu sort of the uh, Hashem wanted that. That's why Hashem says that the leftovers is in. But I think it's <coughs> also has another meaning to it. It really depends on how we look at at wealth or how we look at these things. If we look at it as it's something important, then that's no good. It's psol lecha. Hashem was basically saying, the leftovers is yours. In other words, it's psolus. Really, it's only good meant for its use. It's not meant people worship, you know, they worship money, they worship uh, <coughs> wealth, they worship riches. That's, that's, no, that's no good. In the words, it says psol, psolus. It's psolus. It's not, it's just leftovers. It's not really, that's not the main... The main value, and um, when we um, you know talk about today's Purim Cotton, and we talk about all the the different miracles, we know that um, uh, the, the the bottom line is that liha kesev liha zov that God is in charge, and um, if we do, we try to do what Hashem wants us to do, then. We're also successful in all in all various. We see miracles. We see, we see uh, uh, Purim. We see miracles. Um, um, 
the main thing is, as in the miracle, the people turned to Hashem, and also they did Teshuvah, as we see in this parsha. Even if you do a terrible mistake, but you can always do Teshuvah and get back into favor with Hashem. So, of course, we should try not to make mistakes in the first place, but if we do make a mistake, we have to know that God's door is always open, and we can always, uh, He'll always accept us, and... Uh, Especially, we don't have to wait for Hashem Kippur, but always, um, actually, so what happened with the Hashem said, Salach Tikit Varecha was in Yom Kippur. That's why, after the Luchas, when Hashem said to him, Salach Tikit Varecha, that was in Yom Kippur. That's how come we have Yom Kippur. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when he finally went down from the mountain. But this this is talking about 40 days before, when Hashem said to him, come back up. So it was like, this, 30, first it was 40 days in the mountains, and then he broke the luchas when he came down, then he pleaded with Hashem for another 40 days, then Hashem said to him, Salucha, go ahead and bring me back the tablets, and then I will do it again. Those 40 days ended on Yom Kippur, and Hashem said to him, Salachti Kitvarecha, I have forgiven you, and um, and then Moshe Rabbeinu came down, and then we have the uh, further the story with the with the Mishkan, with the building of the Mishkan, with everything else. Um, he was technically 120 <coughs> days. Yeah, that's right. If you take, if you count from Shavuos to Yom Kippur, you'll see from Shavuos to Matan Torah, you have like 120 days. That's it. Yeah, what did you want to say? I wanted to know uh, who is the Rabbi in the Lubavitch movement now? Who is? We're, yeah. we're still we're with the rabbis. We're, we're still with the rabbis' uh, words and with the rabbis' uh, message. There's no, no, there's no. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> no, seriously. No, there's no, yeah, there's nobody. There's nobody. Nobody, not no. a few of them together for halachas or, or for. The, the rabbi was. The rabbi was. I mean, there's rabbis, there's rabbanim, there's halachas, but there's no leader like the rabbi's caliber. I'm not um, saying in this uh, calendar, sure. Not at all, but not even close. Not not somebody that is accepted. But uh, the Rebbe... I go to, with a shayla somewhere. Yeah, no, a shayla is a, is a rav, you know. They ask for a rav. No. That's a rav. No, but but the, a Rebbe wasn't a... He didn't answer shaylas, you know, per se. The Rebbe would, uh, would answer. A spiritual would give... Yeah. And the Rebbe's... I know, from the, what I know, you know better that he did have like a, a non, non-religious degree and he, I think, Handasa, like yeah, yeah, yeah. engineering or, or something. Yeah, which like he used, and, which he used out fully for, 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 for holiness, but yeah, for, 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 right. for good and then that he, he also recommended to his Kehila to go and learn a trade like in the, the Rebbe's the Rebbe's view is, is, is it's, a, it's more complex than very simple than that, but the Rebbe's oh, view seemed to be like this. It depends for whom. There was everything was for the Rebbe's view is that we need. It seems like that we need we need all we need all the Jewish people more than anything else need the right leaders, mm-hmm. spiritual leaders, to go out and teach the people to teach them. Right. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of yeah from halacha. Oh no, but I'm saying so. But there's so anybody who wishes to dedicate their life, you know, we the, the most burning issue that we need. We need leaders. We need people that are willing to go out to faraway communities where there's no Jews over there. We need to to keep to keep to keep the flame to keep the Jewish flame up because 
people to work programs to be doctors and lawyers. There's plenty of them. We don't have that many people. We don't have that many people. Yeah, or or anything that that helps the Jewish people at the spiritual level. We have less and less because it's not such a desirable. The parnos is not so good. The pay is not so well. The the the, the difficulties are many. So a lot of people are going to shy away from it. They want to go to things that make them money. And they want to live the good life. They want to live the American dream like everybody else wants to live. But the Rebbe created the generation who says, you know what? We're ready to... Uh, you have, the, you have, you have, the, you have the, the, the people, the Peace Corps, you know, the people that go. They go into other communities. And you have, uh, in, in other religions, they go and they teach, they give up. And a lot of them sometimes pay a heavy price for trying to help other people in less developed countries and mm-hmm. things and they, they so we have our own peace corps yeah we have we have our own peace corps which is the so to answer your question though so people that started you know that that, that are doing um general studies or any any kind of profession the Rebbe always encouraged everybody to finish to continue and to finish and to do what they're doing to be best at but the average one who's grown up over there the Rebbe encouraged them to 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 to, to become fully involved in Yiddishkeit and go out and do something for the Jewish people and uh, to help them